I'd like to take just a few minutes with you. It's a little bit of an abbreviated time for us on Christmas Eve, but I want to talk to you about this biblical idea of peace. You know, the Bible and its story has the story of peace woven through it. You know, all of creation and mankind was at peace with God in, in the beginning days, in the garden, in Genesis. And John, in his revelation, tells us that once again we'll be in perfect peace with God when the new heaven and the new earth arrives and everything is done in God's plan. But in that in-between time that we call the Word of God, the Bible itself, man is forever looking for peace. We see Israel chasing peace. Uh, in the New Testament, wondering when peace will come. And it's an interesting idea that I think sometimes we get so caught up in what our definition of peace is, we miss what the Bible has to say about peace. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about. I'm always interested in the prophets, and Isaiah is one of the great ones to speak of things coming in the future about this peace. You know, he has more to say about this child that we just heard spoken in the Christmas story than any of the other prophets. And I, I want to draw your attention to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Here's what Isaiah says. For a child will be born to us. That's a baby. A son will be given to us. That's a boy. And in 700 B.C., for you young people that like to do this thing called a reveal party, Isaiah ruined it. Because Jesus' parents weren't even alive for another 700 years, and it's already a baby boy. Well, I'm just so impressed you're laughing at my silly jokes. <laughs> Isaiah goes on and he says, and the government will rest on his shoulders. It's probably a good place to start when we consider in the New Testament why the Jews were so confused about Jesus when he came. Why didn't he just overthrow the Roman Empire? Even Isaiah brings this idea up 700 years earlier. But here's what I'd like us to focus on. It's verse 7. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to his government or to peace. Now, there's four titles or names, if you choose to consider it that, for this child that's yet to be born. And in these two passages that Jason and Justin just read to us in Matthew and Luke's record of Christ's birth, all of those names are used in one form or another. But what I want to focus on tonight is the one at the end of the list, Prince of Peace. If Jesus rules over peace, then maybe there's something we could learn from him about peace. But before I go any further, I want to get us all level set on a common definition of peace. And in our English language and in the Greek New Testament language, it's a pretty simple word. And, and I would ask you to agree to this definition. Peace is the absence of conflict or strife. The absence of conflict or strife. Pretty simple definition. Well, let's begin by taking a look at what Jesus says about conflict and strife, this peace. And the first time we hear from him is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they shall be called sons of God. Now let me set context for you for just a moment. Here's the setting. Jesus has just returned from the wilderness after being challenged by Satan. And he's now left the south and he's moving back to the north to the Galilean region, which is home base for him. It's where he grew up. He picks up Peter and Andrew and James and John along the way, the first four of the 12 disciples. Now, Matthew tells us in this text that as he's traveling along, he stops in synagogues. And as he does, he teaches and he shares the gospel of the kingdom of God, a very explicit thing that Jesus does in his entire mystery, ministry and the New Testament speaks of exclusively. It is the gospel. There's one other thing that Jesus does, though, that Matthew spells out for us, and that is he heals the sick. He makes people well. And as a result of this, there's a big stir that surfaces. People as far away as Syria start bringing sick people for him to heal. Matthew has no other way to describe this but to say there is a crowd or a multitude of people that are now coming from all different directions looking for Dr. Jesus to heal them. Now, as this scene unfolds in Matthew chapter 5 in the verses prior to verse 9, the picture says that Jesus climbs up on a hill. Some of your Bibles will say a mountain. Now, if you're familiar with the Galilean region and, the, and you've been to Israel, you know, Michael likes to say it's God's will that you go to Israel. Well, if you have been there and you were standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, looking away from it up to the hill, you'd see it ascend in a gradual ascension, maybe 800 or 1,000 feet. So it'd be normal for Jesus to walk up or climb up a little ways so he could turn around and look down on the crowd and be able to speak to them in a way that they could all hear him. He says these things. He begins speaking of heaven. And he talks about what could happen for folks when they get to heaven. And he breaks folks into categories. One of these categories is this category called peacemakers. So as I kind of unravel this, the first thing we learn from Isaiah is that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Second thing we learn is from Jesus, and that is that peacemakers are blessed. Well, before I make it clear, let me just confuse you for a moment. The next time we hear from Jesus where he speaks of peace is in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Now, at this point in time, Jesus has been traveling around the Galilean region. He's collected all 12 disciples, and he spent a great deal of time equipping them so that they could go out on their own. This is that point where he's focused on them, and he's in the midst of a dialogue with them on what discipleship looks like. And he warns them that they're going to come in contact with men that are going to have a problem with what they have to say, and he's exhorting them not to turn back when that happens, to realize that they have the power of God with them. Well, in the midst of this little dialogue, he makes this statement. Don't think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Wait a minute. Time out. Didn't we just hear he's the prince of peace? Didn't he just say that peacemakers will be blessed now? 
he's going to say to his very disciples, I didn't come to bring peace. I'm bringing a sword with me. Doesn't that sound like a military play? Well, here's what I'd like to suggest to you. And maybe this will be a little helpful if we take a look at that context. Remember we said the definition was the absence of conflict and strife. The absence of conflict and strife. Jesus says, don't think I came to bring peace on the earth. Don't think I came to take away conflict and strife. That's really not my purpose. I have a greater purpose than that. And this is where I think sometimes we get confused. We're looking for peace to be, make my life easy. Take away the frustration. I don't need the worry. How about the uncertainty in the times that we live? And we, me included, get caught up in that. Well, one of the ways for us to look at that is let's fast forward from Jesus' day after his resurrection, and let's see what an apostle says about this very concept of peace that he has taken away in his own life from Jesus and in his own discipleship. And I'd like you to look with me in Colossians chapter 1 and see what Paul has to say. In verse 19 of Colossians 1, Paul says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of Christ. Well, when you look at this verse, the first thing I'd ask you to consider is that this peace is specific to God's pleasure. See, we're... we're Paul says it was for the Father's good pleasure. This is something that God desires. He desires this peace for us, and he uses it to bring man back to him. Look at that second part, through him to reconcile all things to himself, Paul says. Second thing I'd ask you to notice is that man can't experience this peace without Jesus shedding his blood on the cross. It just won't happen. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. This peace is the specific result of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And we don't experience this kind of peace with God without Jesus' voluntary death. Well, Paul's got more to say about this idea, and he adds a little more detail in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. He says here, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. It's the same reminder as he reminded the Colossians. It's Jesus' death. It's his blood that brings us near to God. But don't miss that climatic ending statement. For he himself is our peace. This picture starts to get a little clearer. Peace, remember that definition, the absence of conflict is found in a person, Emmanuel, God with us. It's not about anything we do. It's all about what God has done for us. It's not temporary. It's not just for a moment. It's permanent peace. Now, Earlier in this very passage in Ephesians 2, Paul connects peace directly with faith. He describes it also as a gift from God. It's not, it's not something we do, it's something we receive. 
You see, the blood of Jesus on the cross brings us this peace with God. He himself is that peace. But that raises a question, at least for me, how does this apply to the way I live today? What about the anxiety I have today? What about the worry I have that's going on in my own life today? What do I do with that? How do I process that in light of what we've just read in Ephesians 2? Well, I'd like to tell you that Paul has an answer for that too. And he brings it up in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Here he says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, we can't change the uncertainty that surrounds us. But I'd like to suggest we can experience peace in a more profound way. Paul explains that there is one certain and complete remedy when we face anxiety and fear. Let me pause for a second and suggest that the first time you read this text, maybe you are a little bit like me. I'm always looking at things from a skeptical mindset. Well, that's easy to say. I'm not so good at doing it. You know, just not being anxious is no answer to my issue. It's just, you know, way too naive to think that that's going to change anything. But, but let me ask you to notice something in the way that Paul writes this. There are two opposing concepts here, two things that are pretty much polar opposites, and I've underlined them in the text just so they pop out a little bit. Do you see that word nothing and everything? You know, the text says be anxious for nothing. But it says, but in everything, by prayer. So let me ask you a question. If you had two doors, and you could pick which one to go through, and door number one said nothing on the front of it, and door number two said everything on the front of it, which one would you pick? I'm guessing you'd pick everything. And I would imagine if it said everything, and if you pick door number two and everything... You get the peace of God guaranteed for you. When you pick everything. This, this is what Paul is trying to introduce in this idea, in this text. But it keeps begging that same question. So why is it so hard for me? You know, there are times, probably more than I want to admit, where I act no differently when it comes to this. When it comes to fear and anxiety and worry, that I act no different than someone that isn't in the faith. I let it grab hold of me. I carry it around in my little briefcase, throw it in my backpack, open it up and put some more stuff in it until it gets so heavy that it's difficult for me to carry. What I want to suggest to you is that when we move away from a focus being exclusively about ourselves and start focusing on God, things change. Now, I want to be clear here, and, and I want to do justice to what Paul writes in God's word right here. Paul says this, anxiety gets us nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Now, 
Maybe anxiety gets us more anxiety, like I've discussed, but there's nothing valuable in it. But he also says prayer gets us everything. It takes our focus to God and away from us. Here's the remedy. It's like the perfect antibiotic we take to eliminate a virus. He says, in everything, pray. In everything, pray. Not in some things. Not when I get around to it. Not if I have time. He says, in everything, pray. I don't know if you're a person that takes vitamins in the morning, but my wife is always reminding me to take the vitamins. If I don't take the vitamins, I'm probably going to pass out the next day. I don't know. But if I do take the vitamins, I get a benefit. If I take in this idea of in everything praying, a benefit will come my way. But it's not that general when Paul talks about this. He says you have to do two things when you pray, and I want you to notice that here in the text. He says, in everything by prayer and supplication. That basically means we get to ask God for help. Now here's what I think is the miraculous part of it. It is conjoined with the idea that we offer thanksgiving at the same time. Now, I want to ask you about your prayer time for just a minute. Think about it this way. I have a problem, and I offer it to God, and at the same moment that I have that problem and I offer it to God, I thank God for the rich blessings he has already provided me in my life. There is something mysterious and miraculous about that when those two things are combined in your prayer. And Paul says here, we don't really understand it. I mean, the text actually says it surpasses all comprehension. But the text also says when we approach God that way, we understand in a much deeper way the peace of God. I want to give you one illustration before we begin just wrapping up this idea. Many of you know Lorena and Angel Lopez, who have been part of Stonebridge since the beginning. Lorena's father is a pastor in a small church here uh, in the area, and he has contracted COVID, and it's gotten pretty bad for him. He's in the hospital, and this past Thursday, he was intubated. So uh, he's on our prayer list, and I know that there's many people in our church already praying for him. If you're unaware of that and uh, you would like to join them and pray, I'm sure Lorena would love for that to happen. I was exchanging messages with Lorena back and forth this week. And every time I would get a message from her, I sensed just even in a deeper way how much pain she was going through, just waiting for her father to improve, watching and not being able to do anything about it. I mean, I didn't even need to see her. It was just kind of dripping off the page as we were exchanging messages. And God struck me with this verse, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. I simply offered it to Lorena and gave her some of the similar thoughts that I just gave to you. Uh, And that was kind of the end of it. Well, the next day, uh, Lorena got in touch with me. She offered this to me. She said, you know, I I, I got that message, and I sat and I looked at that text, and I prayed about it, and I considered the comments that you made about that text, And I have to tell you, it transformed my day. It changed 
the whole way that I was looking at my dad's health. Now, that's not about me. I just simply said Philippians 4.7. Here's what it says. You know, isn't that an example of how God just takes that idea and transforms it? There isn't a doubt in my mind that the peace of God is found in Jesus Christ. There isn't a doubt in my mind that when I turn my heart to prayer and I thank God for the rich blessings in my life and then offer up a request for him to intervene, that it doesn't change me. I contend too often we don't take the gift in. We let it sit on the bookshelf. And I would just suggest on this Christmas Eve, the peace of God, if you've not done this before, the peace of God is found in the message of Christmas. God's peace comes to us through faith in a Christmas baby that is the Savior of mankind. You know, Justin read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38 for us just a few moments ago. You know, in that text, we meet this teenage girl that's betrothed to a future husband, and she's a virgin. You know, back in the first century, the betrothal process began for some girls at age 12. Now, we don't know the age of this girl, but we know her name. It's Mary, right? We know that the angel Gabriel came to her. And we know that Luke tells us that the angel Gabriel stands in the very presence of God. I like to think of him as the chief angel, top gun. That's who God sent to Mary. And he unveiled to Mary a story that would stop any of us in our tracks. That we would say, how can this be? But what I don't want you to miss is Mary's humanity. She was a teenage girl, probably a young teenager. She was looking forward to her life with a new husband, wonderment of what would come next. And in a few moments, Gabriel turned her life upside down. And this miracle for her would impact her family relationship. It would impact her relationship in the synagogue. It might even impact her relationship with her new husband-to-be. Life would be completely different for Mary after that. I cannot imagine that amount of pressure placed on a teenage girl. And yet, there's a response from Mary that I don't want us to miss. We know what that response is because Luke tells us what it is in Luke 1, verse 38. Let me just read it to you. And Mary said, Behold, I am the bondslave of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. This young girl's trust in God, her faith at a time of cataclysmic disarray in her life, didn't stop her in her tracks. You know, in my naive, simple view of just those words, I translate it to be something like this. Mary said, here I am, Lord. Take me and do what pleases you to me. I mean, that's the kind of faith I want. 
That's the kind of faith I would hope you would want for yourself. That's the kind of faith God gives us on this Christmas Eve. The peace of God that we find in the message of Christmas.